For publishers, this is a time of radical reinvention marked by breakneck pace of innovation and not a few layoffs. Over the past couple of years, new paywalls have popped up across the media landscape, emboldened by the likes of the New York Times, which is halfway to its goal of 10 million subscribers by 2025, according to its most recent earnings call. Still, others continue to tweak existing subscription models. Publishing executives talk about balancing scale versus reader revenue, how to convince marketers of the value of highly loyal audiences, and the true costs of customer acquisition for closed content ecosystems. I'm Brian Breaker, editor of Ad Age, and I love a paywall that's worth opening your wallet for. Last week, we held an event called Ad Age Next Publishing here in New York to bring together media executives from some of the best brands in the world to explore the industry's challenges and more interesting opportunities in subscriptions, in events, e-commerce, tech, and more. This podcast is a live recording of a conversation I had with three media titans about where we stand with the pivot to subscriptions. Joining me on stage in order that they speak were Pam Wasserstein, CEO of New York Media, Scott Havens, Global Head of Digital and Media Distribution at Bloomberg Media Group, and Nita Lassam, Executive Director of Ad Innovation at the New York Times. If you couldn't join us last week, you'll feel like you were in the room. Let's get started. I wanna invite my first panelist, to the stage. Uh, we have uh, Scott Havens, the global head of digital media uh, and distribution from Bloomberg Media Group. We lost the S on your name, sorry about that. Uh, Nina, <laughs> you guys can come up on stage. Nina, executive director of ad innovation at the New York Times and Pam Wasserstein at Vox Media. New title, president of Vox Media uh, uh, after that um, Vox and New York convergence acquisition. So we're gonna get started with that. Roger. Thank you everybody. Thank you, guys. Is this on? Hello? Um, so we heard uh, opening remarks there. Uh, Scott, you're 18 months into uh, uh, paywall, and you, um, Pamela, are a year in, I believe? It'll be a year in a couple of weeks, yeah. yeah. So, all right, what, um, what, what have you learned in a year at New York Media? Uh, hi. So thanks Hello. for having me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we launched a paywall. It'll be almost a year ago. Um, it'll be a year ago in a couple of weeks, as I said. We did that as part of an overall revenue diversification strategy that we've been pursuing for, you know, three or four years now. Um, and it's an important linchpin of that, but there are other pieces as well, especially um, e-commerce has been a big growth area for us. So our paywall, obviously we've been in the subscription business for 51 years. We felt great confidence that we have an audience um, that's willing to pay for our um, for our product, that we produce something worth paying for, um, and in and then um, over time we were looking at the market and consumer behavior and um, other publishers like notably the New York Times, Washington Post, many others um, are teaching our audience that you pay for news, that you pay for premium news experiences. And um, our audience is also learning to pay for other forms of media entertainment, Spotify, Netflix, et cetera. Right. So it was all those factors that led to like, yeah, we're gonna pull the trigger and launch this thing. Um, we wanted to build a paywall that was um, what we call dynamic. So it's, um, <clears throat> we have a couple, rather than like a flat 
meter. You like a tiered structure. Yeah, we so have a tiered structure. So if you're reading like big, um, kind of big long form features um, of the kind that would be like a big print feature traditionally, I'll know now we publish that kind of journalism online all the time as well as in print. Mm -hmm. um, then you're going to hit a paywall pretty fast. Right. If you're reading across our multiple digital brands, um, we think that that's another indicator of a propensity to subscribe. Right. Um, so you're going to hit the paywall pretty fast. If you're reading only one of our brands, it's going to take a longer time because we want you to kind of get used to the idea. Um, but if you're you know, a deep vulture reader, for example, eventually we're gonna ask you to pay. Right. So in this year, um, a lot of what we learned was more confirmatory. Like that the, for example, that articles that people um, tend, that the people who are ultimately subscribing or tending to read are those long form features or are um, experiences that really feel like us, that they're pretty differentiated. Right. And, um, highlight our sensibility and you know what some of our most popular have been these like big scam stories mm -hmm. um yeah cult. i mean i think i think we're gonna be hearing that word a lot today differentiated i mean you if you have something that you want people to pay for it has to be different it has to be unique and it has to be worth something to that person and i think uh, it has to be like aligned to your brand correct. as well right and Absolutely. so it's like a very clear relationship between the thing you're buying and the person you're correct. buying it from yeah and so scott you are you are yourself 18 months into a paywall yep. uh you you relaunched the site and with a new design you and i were talking before this uh event um and you said that you had underestimated the utility of bloomberg.com what 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 did you what do you mean by that well it's rare that i'm positively surprised by anything in media. Yep. Usually the, the reality of the numbers uh, far underwhelm <laughs> um, versus the model that everyone built to sell that, that new business. On this, in this circumstances, we were way off. I'll get back to utility in a second, but um, we, we hit our goal like four months ago. It was uh, for the year. We hit our 2018 goal um, within like two months. I mean, it was it's been remarkable, and, and I guess what I underestimated, because I, with the Wall Street Journal, the F, FT, um, as our sort of primary uh, competitors who have been around and selling subscriptions in print and digital for over a century. Since the beginning, yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and early, the journal's been online since 96 yeah. or something. Right. I, I just thought it was gonna be a far slower ramp to convince people that Bloomberg has a B2C proposition worth paying $450 for. Mm -hmm. Um, but so I underestimated that uh, from the utility perspective, people use it for getting up to date on the global politics, markets, business, tech uh, story. And so, uh, so we were, we've had to revise everything up dramatically, which is a very good thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's obviously not our core business media, but um, it's been really positive for the media group. So, um, and, and along come, along with business utility also comes, and this is, what the FT and the journal and others have benefited from for a long time is, is expense accounts too. Let's mm -hmm. be honest about it. People use our site as a business tool. Mm -hmm. There's a utility to it and they, a good percentage probably can expense it. That not everybody has that. So, 
anyway, it's been, it's been great so far, um, truly. So um, as we talk about sort of tightening up these paywalls and, and, and getting people to pay, the question uh, that maybe I would ask Nina first is how do, you, how do you lean into subscriptions without blowing up your ad business? Yeah, fair question. Um, but I, I think the first thing to say is that there, I, I don't see them as mutually exclusive, right? I don't think, I think the history of media has always been one that's supported by subscriptions as well as been supported by advertising. So I don't think you can, you have to have one without the other. And I also think there's so many more revenue streams. You spoke about diversification um, that media brands can get into events, Audio, of course, the daily has been a huge boon for us as well. And also a subscription driver, I would imagine. And yeah. a top of the funnel awareness yeah. play, definitely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I don't think we should think of one versus the other, but both of them existing in tandem. And I think, you know, as the person on this stage from the advertising side, I think building a subscription business is really important and valuable for advertisers. They're looking for an audience that is purposeful in being there. And that is something that a subscription publisher can offer to them. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, so, okay. You, you mentioned the audience. We all talk about data a lot, uh, especially as it pertains to reaching audiences, cultivating audiences, getting people, audiences to, to subscribe. Um, we can all track a lot of stuff. How do you prioritize, and this is open for any of you, how do you prioritize what you track and what data you are leaning into? I'm happy to go first. Um, well, first of all, I, I say this to my team all the time, the most important metric by far is operating profit. Uh, so, uh, that's what we're, we're, that's my job. Um, revenue is important, but we got to do it profitably. Um, and so, uh, secondarily to that in, in pursuit of that, um, obviously there's a ton of data and making sure you have an analytics team to parse through this data is important. And, and each functional group generally has a different, a different, um, set of data needs. For example, editorial really likes to see which are the articles or the data sets that are converting people. Um, what is that last stop on the wall? What, what is that last stop? What tends well, to for us, markets is pretty important. I mean, mm-hmm. I, again, back to utility, people turn to Bloomberg for objective analysis of what's going on in the global markets, which is why when volatility's up, and we love that, uh, subscriptions tend to go up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's important there. I mean, retention rate, super important. How many of these people that we sign up through an offer are sticking with us? That's where all the battle is going to be for all of us, is, especially as we, we talk about uh, new paywalls being launched every day. Uh, at some point, people are going to be saturated, and they're yep. going to say, "What? What am I actually using? Right. Otherwise, I'm going to cancel it." So, uh, we're going to have to prove that value. So, we're watching retention super closely. And then the one that I have found, and I never thought about this until we launched the paywall, is the stop rate. You know, how many people are we slamming into the wall? We were also apprehensive about putting up a paywall for in the industry for 20 years, and then we put it up, and we said, "Oh, 10 or 20 articles a month." Then all of a sudden, uh, you weren't getting as many subscriptions, then you start to lower the paywall and you slam more people into the wall, the stop rate, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden subscriptions start to take off. So we just needed to ask is sort of my takeaway. But that for us is, is, is a key, key metric we look at. Yeah, I think um, I agree with a, a lot of what you said. I think another data space that we're really exploring specifically on the ad side is around um, contextual data. So we have a, a data and insights group at the Times, and they're situated so that they work with a lot of different functions in the organization. And one of the things that we've been working on is how we can look at the content of the article itself. What data can we glean from how people might respond or react to that? And what are some of the data products that we can build there that are useful in advertising content? So definitely a lot of what you mentioned on the subscription side, but there's a, a lot of other things happening in the data space as well. Um, agree with all those. And I guess I just add, we look at um, 
other indicators of loyalty and engagement. So like engaged minutes and, you know, loyal repeat visitors and those kinds of things as well. Yeah, would love to see if I could get you to disagree on something. Um, <laughs> have So as you tighten this paywall, uh, you know, the assumption is that you're trading scale uh, for some sort of uh, focused uh, and developed audience. Um, has traffic taken a hit at any of your properties? Did you want to go first? Uh, no, mm. it hasn't. Yeah, we've been really encouraged as well. And then I'll just do a call out that I think if scale is the only thing you're looking at, that is probably not the right conversation to be having. I don't think that's the only metric of health that you should be looking at. I'll disagree. Uh, <laughs> just for, for the panel's sake. No, uh, I'll add something new. We, we actually, this was totally unexpected. Generally speaking, we have not seen, unless it was self-inflicted, i.e. I put a strong bot tracker on the site or repurposed a, uh, an old deal from linking over to hosting or whatever, um, we didn't see a drop. But there was one area we, we did see um, uh, a change year over year, which was a few sites that are, one, being relatively influential one of the ugliest sites on the internet that leans a little right that has links on the homepage. Um, does it rhyme with smudge? It does. Uh, <laughs> it, it was almost like some of the editors had a, a philosophical issue with our paywall. So uh, there, there were a couple. Uh, there were a couple brands that where we saw uh, like a very consistent pattern of traffic, and it just changed when we launched. And uh -huh. and some of it's come back, but clearly someone made a decision there. Bloomberg now is a paywall. They don't deserve it, maybe, is what they were thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to link to somebody else on this story. That's very funny. Mm -hmm. So that was the only thing that we saw, which I did not anticipate. Yeah. Um, I, we should have invited him today. Um, <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> as we talk about publishers locking down content, how do you all think about platforms like Facebook or Apple News? Um, what is the approach there? Is the idea that you give everything to Google or Apple, is that helpful? What, what, what are you guys thinking? <laughs> I'll jump in on that one. So, um, the, no, <laughs> don't, uh, don't ever think that they care about journalism yeah. or media. Uh, and I'm an investor in all of those companies, so I'm not asking them to save journalism. That's our job. Um, so don't ever be naive about that. We say that all the time. Be selective about your partnerships and how you work with them. But these have been around since I started in the internet almost 20 years ago. I mean, it was the social, it was the portals, the search. Mm -hmm. Um, it was then social media and then Messenger. And guess what? There's another platform uh, uh, sort of emerging, which is the OTT ones, where you've got your Hulu. And obviously, YouTube's been around. And you guys have a streaming play. Right? We, we do have a streaming yeah. play. We also have a ton of video from, and TV and, and, and a lot of, you know, you, you probably, you're not doing the pivot to video, or maybe you are today. But uh, we all did that for the last five years uh, to the, varying degrees of success. Well, the pivot to subscriptions and in a lot of respects of a reaction to the yeah. failed pivot. I, to I think that's right. But those guys like Roku, Hulu, et cetera, um, and others that are being launched daily, Disney Plus, 10 million yesterday. Now it's not an ad model yet, but it could yeah. be. Uh, that's that's going to be another one to deal with. So they're never going away. They just sort of change faces and, and technology. So we got to learn how to figure it out. It, Never before in the history of the world have we had an, an audience to reach so quickly and so broadly. So you have to think about it as a, a broad marketing platform, acquisition platform, and sometimes you can make money on it too. 
Yeah, I think that those are all really good points. I also think it's interesting to see a lot of the platforms seem to be um, prioritizing in their algorithms, algorithms originally reported journalism over some of the user-generated content that we all started when you know Facebook and Instagram and all these players first launched in the space. So that, uh, to me, is a, is a positive shift, an interesting one that I think all publishers are paying attention to. So um, <clears throat> we, I, I, I think... Generally speaking, with regard to platforms, you just need to understand what your objective is and what your expectations are. Um, we, we're, for example, participating in Apple News Plus. We're participating in the Facebook News The tab. Facebook Journalism mm -hmm. Project, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, in, in both cases, we felt that um, the, maybe we were reaching a new audience that we weren't reaching organically. Um, and so that was kind of like a top of funnel marketing opportunity. And then the idea that these platforms, for example, Apple News Plus, I think probably helped goad Facebook actually into creating a product where um, they were paying for journalism. Are you all three of you involved with the Facebook project? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, um, you know, I, I think that the... <laughs> Encouraging the behavior of, hey, this stuff is good and important and people should pay for it um, is of value. Okay. So uh, a couple of you referred to this as almost a, as a marketing uh, opportunity. Um, how Are you guys spending more or differently on marketing with this new subscription push? Is, has that changed the way you market yourselves and your journalism? I, I think the brand efforts the New York Times has done, you know, that's not in my jurisdiction at all, but I think is pretty um, special and, and extraordinary. I'm a huge fan of the Truth Campaign. It's I think it's four years, three or four years now that yeah. that's been running. This is with Drogo, right? Is your agency. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's TV spots. It's display advertising. It's out of home. It's also been some really interesting activations, and it's highlighted the breadth and depth of our journalism, local, climate, sports, um, politics, of course. So so that is definitely a huge um, endeavor on our part. I think on the advertising side, it's been interesting to acknowledge how that investment um, and purposeful look at our own brand has been interesting to other brands who want to work with us. So that's been really encouraging. Mm -hmm. We, yeah, absolutely. We are spending more on marketing um, because we have this paid product, mm -hmm. digital product to market. Um, I, I think we've, over the course of this year, also gotten a bit smarter about how to spend on marketing for digital subscriptions. Mm -hmm. um, by the way, I'm very admiring of the Truth Campaign. It's really phenomenal. Uh, this fall, we're doing our first brand campaign, actually. Um, it's not for subscription. It's for our site, The Strategist, which is a product recommendation site, which is very good. <laughs> Great for the holidays, just to say. Um, and we're doing, yeah, like a, a real brand campaign. We've taken over the West 4th Street subway stop, for example, and you'll see bus shelters and all that. Um, and the reason there is, like, we um, have this product we think is really great. Our conversion rates are really phenomenal, and we just want more people to know about it. Mm -hmm. That's almost That's like cool. uh, straight out of the D to C playbook that we're seeing a lot. Exactly. Of, yeah. um, so how? So um, New York Media obviously is a suite of uh, properties, including New York Magazine, uh, Vulture, uh, The Cut. 
what, you were acquired by um, Vox, and hence your new title, President of Vox Media. Congratulations. Um, how does New York plug into Vox now and, and vice versa? What's gonna, what, what are we going to see happen there? Um, yeah, it's really, I mean, we, we did this merger because I think on both sides we um, had these strong, increasingly diversified businesses that um, were quite, as we delve deeper, like very complementary. Mm -hmm. um, complementary just in terms of like the, um, the verticals that we're in. Um, the categories that we're in both editorially and in advertising probably our strongest areas. They're complementary in the ways that we've diversified. We've especially leaned into subscription and e-commerce and we're sort of early days in like developing for television, podcasting, live events. And Vox has been very strong in um, television and live events and podcasting in particular. And so in combination, we are... You know, the plan is to accelerate all of those things in a cool kind of growth synergistic way. Um, and then on the advertising side, it's like be in part because of the integration of all these channels, um, we think it's going to be like a one-stop shop for kind of the, the best, um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But like, You're all the best. <laughs> uh, you know, the best um, experience for marketers yeah. to kind of get whatever they're looking for around yeah. premium content and audiences. Right. Um, so, Scott, you sort of alluded to this earlier. Every day someone launches a new subscription offering, we sort of get one step closer to the saturation point. What is that point? Um, in the end, if the, if the Times is teaching audiences to pay for content, will audiences ultimately just pay for the Times um, at the expense of other outlets? Where, do we, where, do, where does this road go? Um, yeah, I, I, I do think over the next couple of years, <laughs> we're all going to look at our monthly credit card charges <laughs> and say, oh my God, I've got 15 OTT online digital media platforms that I'm paying for, and really I've only hit four or five of those. So I, th I think there'll be like this wave of like positivity and euphoria for a few years with a lot of us. And then I think people are gonna value, is there value there? So I see tough roads ahead for those that are not acutely focused on serving that customer, making sure they're happy and adding utility to their lives. You know, what is, why did they subscribe to you in the first place? Um, I won't comment on whether the New York Times wins or loses there, um, but uh, I think there's an interesting question about uh, what place does a holistic or broad uh, media platform like the New York Times or the Washington Post or the LA Times have alongside the, the really deep niche players in business or sports or music or whatever. Um, you'll probably have a mix of like one or two, but I think, I think like the Times, I love the Times, I get the Times, I'll always pay for the Times, but their sports and business coverage is not serving me well enough. So I have to read Bloomberg or The Athletic or The New York Post or whatever. So I'll, I'm, gonna, I'm happy to have three or four, but we're not going to have 15. So, yeah, I think there's retention, that, which is what I brought up before, is going to become the most important thing. How, how do you make sure that they don't leave you? Because the cost of acquisition is exponentially higher than the cost of retention. Mm -hmm. I think we'll also see a lot of uh, this outcome of competition happening with the streaming wars, right? I think we're all watching 
Disney Plus and what's going to happen with some of the other players in that space. It's sort of like a canary in the coal mine for yeah, you guys a little, a little bit. bit. And mm-hmm. then there's so many direct-to-consumer brands that are built off of subscription models, specifically, I think, in the last couple of years. So there's a lot of other proxies um, out there that we can look at. Um, but I agree about the credit card statement. If you'll indulge me in an anecdote, my mother texted me the other day to ask if she did one of those apps that looks through your credit card statements to see where everything is being spent and asked me if I still wanted my subscription to Seventeen magazine. <laughs> so, which was very sweet. I'm sure. Right. <laughs> so I'm sure it's going to a house we lived in many years ago uh, when I was a kid. So, but I, yes, absolutely. People are going to have to make a judgment calls about what's bringing them the most value. Yeah, yeah. And um, just to add to that, I think that we need to be really clear about like what. Um, what job we're performing in people's lives and like why it is that they are coming to us. Um, It's evident. It seemed, I mean, early days still, but a lot of people have OTT subscriptions and they're still signing up for Disney plus. And because that is like, it's a compelling offering and maybe it's, you know, Oh God, I have kids or whatever their reason is. Like there's a specific reason that they are taking out their credit card and doing that. I think, you know, for a brand like ours, we are focused on being your, maybe not your first read, but your absolute favorite read. And so highlighting like that aspect of the identity connection, emotional connection, um, I think that's really important. So as, as national and, and global brands, uh, you guys are able to sort of uh, command this, this audience and these subscriptions and um, do world-class journalism at a, at a national and global level. At what, how, much, how much do you think about local journalism and the sort of spreading news deserts in the, in the middle of the country that are maybe not served by uh, a pivot to subscriptions? Well, you do an excellent job of local journalism. And and I'm, as a reader of the news, I think, and a person who's interested in the media industry at large, I think we're all very concerned about what's happening and um, around local journalism. I think that New York Mag does an excellent job. I think the Times investment in its metro coverage has been really exceptional. The investigative pieces that are coming out of that, I think, are pretty extraordinary. I do think I have read about several different models that people are exploring, and yeah, I mean, I think we're kind of all waiting to see. We, um, we partnered, uh, thank you, relatively, we do a lot less local journalism, frankly, than we used to, in part because of the market pressures mm-hmm. of um, the digital world and in part because of also the opportunities of the digital world. Like we want to be leading a national conversation. And so we've mostly focused there, um, but are concerned about... Um, you know, the quality of local reporting, even in a market like New York City, which is insane because we are the center of the media universe in so many ways. Um, so we partnered with a not-for-profit called The City that started earlier this year, um, which I think is an interesting and perhaps even replicable model for a kind of private, um, you know, for-profit, not-for-profit partnership. We... Um, help them on their back end, basically. So they're editorially independent, but like we did design work for them. They publish on our CMS. Um, and we do some um, joint projects with them in the way that we also work with like the Marshall Project and ProPublica, for example. Yep. For, I, I think uh, I, personal concern for local news, no question. I don't have a, uh, an answer 
to, to the model, um, mm -hmm. the business model there yet. Um, for us, it's actually more local on a global scale. So how do we cover um, uh, Dakar, where I just was, or uh, Hong Kong or whatever? And you know, for, for Bloomberg, we operate pretty much everywhere, 120 countries with our 2,700 journalists. So we're trying to figure out, for, for the purposes of driving subscriptions, how do we connect uh, more with, with local business executives outside the US. Um, and I think that's gonna be interesting for all of us, really, when we saturate the US market, we've gotta get beyond our shores. Many of us have most of our growth early on in the US. Um, and, uh, and so thinking about like, you know, localized language, thinking about localized offers, like localized pricing, using payment processes that are not um, US-based, mm -hmm. um, et cetera. Um, so that, that's gonna be interesting and fun. We're, for example, investing in people in Europe and Asia to focus on subscriptions next year since we're globally focused. Interesting. Um, we've got uh, just a couple minutes left, but I'm, I'm happy to open it up if anyone has any questions for the panelists here. I see a hand back there. Oh, there's mics Hi. in the middle. Hi. Um, you guys can just line up, I guess, if you want. Sorry. No. <laughs> um, so my question is, you know, how are you going about actually teaching the next generation that they need to be paying for subscriptions because I mean it's, the landscape has evolved so quickly and I think just being able to go into schools being able to educate the children that this is a necessity that they need to have access to, to news basically. I can give one example of the th something that the Times is doing, which is um, in the daily, if any of you are listeners, you've probably heard our marketing campaign that we've been doing around subscriptions, which is the, the daily is free. It's available to everyone on, on multiple platforms, but we have um, journalists speak about the importance of subscribing to the New York Times in order to produce the, the content that is on the daily. So I, you had mentioned earlier that reminding people that it costs money and putting that message out there actually does have a pretty good return. I'm not too worried about it myself. I think this, I think there probably was a lost generation in there that, uh, and I was like on the, the bully pulpit for this content has to be free for like 15 years railing against the Cirque team. Um, we lost a bunch of people there who probably are gonna to be tougher to convert, although we're seeing it. I think this new generation through their mobile phones, they're pretty happy to sign up for things, Spotify, whatever. Um, I'm not terribly worried. I think ultimately, but it will come down to, is it meaningful for them to subscribe to these things? And um, I think we'll be okay there. So a question on pricing. It seems all of the subscriptions are using all-you-can-eat pricing. There was an interesting article, I think, just yesterday in the Harvard Business Review by a pricing specialist saying that that's a very ineffective way to price and that it doesn't address the value to consumers that have different value propositions. So what I'm wondering is to what extent is anyone looking at alternative models that are more variable to the user? And I, I realize there's dynamic pricing on the acquisition side, but I believe they all just go back to the same flat standard price eventually. And the point is that the pricing people say that's not a very effective model. So you know, is there thought of alternatives? I, there's no question. I think all of us are leaving a ton of money on the table right now. Um, but, uh, and I think, I, I, I do feel like uh, we're early on in the evolution for us, 18 months. So we're, we're testing offers right now on the acquisition side, as you know, we're all doing this. Um, but you'll, what you'll start to see, I think, are more tiers more additional products to add, maybe gasp our own bundles over time as well. 
um, and uh, and hiring of people that understand this, including economists um, and people that understand pricing into our teams. There's no question that we've been using sort of a rudimentary tool so far. Yeah, we do some bundling. Our, the NYT cooking product um, and the crosswords product are things that you can add on at different price points as well. I think we're all so early days in this, in a way, even a more mature business like the Times. Um, I agree with you that uh, in the next couple of years, I think you'll see more um, variability and um, it'll be interesting. And we'll all, I think, continue to learn from each other and um, experiment and adapt. Uh, we are technically out of time. I see there is someone waiting. Uh, is it a quick one? Because we'll, we'll take it. Yep. Um, as you guys are thinking about the subscription value proposition, how are you thinking about other forms of premium content, whether it be audio, video, and stuff that's behind a, behind a paywall? Uh, sh sure, I can start there. So um, right now, we have no plans to, to move any of those platforms um, behind the paywall. I do think that the uh, the weekly, of course, is on cable news and, and part of Hulu, but that was intentional to have it available to people who are both streaming um, or, and subscribing to more traditional cable. We, we, um, we did something interesting with uh, Bloomberg TV Plus, as we call it, um, which is sort of a 4K um, enhanced and more data-driven uh, representation of Bloomberg television, um, which is only available digitally today. Uh, we made that a subscriber benefit. We actually have, believe it or not, a lot of conversions to the paywall come from people that want to stream Bloomberg television or Bloomberg TV plus. It's a pretty good driver for us. So we, it's bundled in the, into the digital and all access tiers. Um, so we see opportunity in doing things like that. Live events we've bundled in. Um, that I think is sort of nice to have, but not a must have yet until we start doing events where I, our, our subscribers at scale can get what they want from these live events. But I see tons of opportunity. We haven't done the paid like audio podcast thing, but we do have newsletters for subscribers only, which have incredible open rates and high subscription rates. So hundred percent back to retention. If that's the most important thing for all of us, we're going to have to keep adding new value to the subscription or they're going to potentially go elsewhere. Um, as I think about just consumer revenue opportunities broadly across the combined Vox Media, New York Media portfolio, you know, I look at we have um, over 17 million monthly downloads for podcasts, for example, like windowing podcasts, giving, you know, some kind of like early access opportunities. You see other um, publishers who do like, for example, Slate has Slate Plus where um, the audio it, member only audio extras is like is I think a big part of um, why people are choosing to um, subscribe. So I, as Scott said, you know, between audio events, newsletters, I think there are a lot of um, tactics that um, align with like it, you have to think about why your audience is coming to you and what they find valuable. Right. And that may be very different. Um, across different brands. So I think understanding that and then sort of setting up a value proposition that makes sense in that context is the way to go. Great. And unfortunately, that's all we have time for. Thank you so much.
That was a live recording from our Ad Age Next publishing event held here in New York last week. Uh, thank you for listening. I want to thank Scott Havens from Bloomberg Media, Pam Wasserstein of New York Media, and Nita Lassam, Executive Director of Ad Innovation at the New York Times, for joining me on stage in front of a riveted audience, just like I'm sure you were during this podcast. I'm Brian Breaker, editor of Ad Age. You've been listening to AdLib, produced this week by Max Sternlicht, as it is most weeks. Be sure to check us out on adage.com or wherever you get your podcast. Give us lots of stars. Tell a friend. Come back next week. Thank you. Bye.